I'm excited to jump back into week two. Uh, we had a grand opening last Sunday, which was a lot of fun, uh, and we thought, hey, for our grand opening, what if we talk about depression? Uh, that'd be a fun way to celebrate. Um, and, uh, and so we, we did, though. We started talking about this topic, uh, anxiety and depression, because um, what we know is that this is something that's not just... Every once in a while, people wrestle with this, but in our culture, in our country, uh, it's really becoming almost an epidemic where one in four people currently, 25% of the U.S. population, is on some sort of treatment plan or medication for anxiety and depression. Uh, and there's more than that uh, that are obviously wrestling with it and just haven't taken the steps to be able to find health and freedom in it. So one out of every four people in this room is wrestling with it. And, and as always, when we talk about these types of things on a Sunday morning, maybe it's because this is something that you specifically are wrestling with. Um, and so hopefully there's some uh, some way forward and some resources and there's some encouragement. And, and as we look into the scriptures, you're able to find out what is, what is God inviting you to do. So maybe this is about you personally and how you wrestle with this. But I know that we all also know people and love people and care about people that are wrestling with this. And so it's not only about us as individuals and how we can benefit, but it's about how do we care better for the people that are around us, for our neighbors, our friends, our, our, our coworkers, the people that, that mean so much to us. How do we genuinely and in a healthy way, healthy way how do we care for them? And so uh, it's an important thing for us to talk about. And uh, we talk about it because uh, physical health and emotional health um, sometimes uh, churches in the past and even some of the churches that I've been a part of, they, they don't really care too much about that stuff because at some point uh, God's going to come back and we're all going to get out of here. So none of this matters. Um, we really believe that that's not actually what Jesus taught. Like there is an eternal reality for us, but he taught us to value what we were given. He put us on this earth to care for it and to oversee creation and, and to care for ourselves emotionally and physically, to care for others. And so it's not just about this one day I'm gonna have a ticket out of here and so it doesn't really matter what happens now, but it's an invitation from Jesus to experience a full and a whole life spiritually. Eternal life is what we talk about in the scriptures, eternal life is something that actually begins today when we start to engage with what Jesus was talking about. So last Sunday we kicked it off and we said that when it comes to anxiety and depression, uh, whether it's a, a major depressive disorder or a kind of a, something that's clinical or whether it's a season that you're wrestling through, uh, there are three components. There's your biology, the way that you were made and born. There's your experiences in life, the things that have happened to you and that you've done. And then there's your habits, the ways that you go about living your life day to day. Those three pieces, there's a combination of those, and that is what usually sets your levels of how you experience anxiety anxiety, and depression. It's not a secret code to break. Not everybody is wired the same way, but those are the three components that each of us wrestle with and we look at in, in relation to this. And what studies have found is that one of the primary causes of anxiety and depression is being uh, disconnected, disconnected in a number of different ways. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at what it means to be disconnected in relationships, and maybe more importantly or more accurately what it what it means to be connected in relationships. Uh, we're going to be talking about this, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at our disconnection in other areas of life. But today, we're talk talking about relationships and our connections there, and because we believe that the connections that we have with other people impact our emotional health, they impact our anxiety and depression levels. Um, our uh, our 
children's director, Leanne, uh, does an incredible job, and, uh, and she has a pet um, named Matilda, who is the oldest dog that has ever lived. Uh, and it is, uh, I mean, I, she kind of looks a little bit like a White Walker, like from Game of Thrones. Like, it's just a little terrifying. And, uh, and it's one of those things where she's like this big. I don't know what kind of dog she is. She's this kind of dog. And, uh, and she's super quiet, and you'll be hanging out in the house, and then you'll turn around, and she's just there. Like, she snuck up on you, and she's got these, like, white eyes. Uh, anyways, so... Uh, about a month ago, Leanne decided that it was time to get another pet, and um, she didn't, not that she has to seek anybody's opinion or preference or permission, but she posted a picture of this thing on her Instagram, and I'm just scrolling through, looking at adorable pictures of babies, looking at what you guys had for dinner the night before, scrolling, scrolling, and then I come across this picture that was terrifying. I thought that maybe she had caught this in her backyard in like a rodent trap, but I guess she paid for this animal. Uh, and it's a hairless guinea pig, um, and she named it Harriet, which I feel like is a little cruel. Um, and, uh, and so, but I'm not really a big pet person in general, but this, I mean, come on, guys. Can we just get a like, show of hands of like, is this, no? Nobody's excited about this. Okay, well, I'll tell her after church today. So... Uh, after she's done caring for all of our children. I'll let her know. Uh, no, but, um, but we were talking about this, and I was kind of joking around with her and, uh, and giving her a hard time about this thing. And, and then I started this conversation, as many pet people do, about, well, don't you need to get a second one? Or is this, is this rat going to be lonely by itself? You know, we could take that picture off. It's just distracting at this point. So, uh, you know, I started this conversation. Have you guys had that conversation? If you guys are pet people, you're like, well, should we get a second dog or should we get a second cat because we don't want the first one to be lonely? I told you guys last week, I've never really been a huge pet person, uh, but I've felt that same thing specifically with like desserts. I've wondered if I should get a second dessert, <laughs> like a second cookie or a second slice. Of, I don't want the first one to be lonely. You know, there's this, uh, but we all have this thing and it's kind of as, as silly as it is, there's something inside of us that is very aware that we, we don't want something to be lonely. We want to make sure we, we care for something or someone enough so that they don't experience loneliness. And I think that that's because we know in our heart of hearts that we don't want to experience loneliness. Maybe we have. Maybe we currently are. Some people get a pet because they, they want a friend. They want some sort of companion that's always excited when they come home. Uh, and, and so there's this reality that, that we know that we don't want to experience loneliness. And so we kind of feel this for our pets as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a need for ourselves, this, this idea of being connected and having relationship and other people to care for us. Loneliness is one of the primary causes of anxiety and depression, uh, and humans are really only successful or most successful when they are connected to other people. Uh, this goes back to the creation poem. Uh, God makes everything, and he says it is all good, and then he makes man, and he says that it was not good for man to be alone, and so he made a helper, he made woman, and, and even in the beginning, there's this idea that man on his own, a person alone, is not good. It's not okay. They need to have some sort of connection, some sort of relationship with others. We are a communal type of people. This is how we're wired, which is why cortisol levels, which is the, the stress chemical in our brains, cortisol levels spike when you are lonely. 
It produces kind of a, a, a hypervigilance, causing us to scan our environment and social situations for threats because unconsciously or subconsciously, we, we feel like no one is looking out for us. So when we are lonely, when we're experiencing loneliness, our brains actually respond in a way as if we are in danger. It creates this, this response for us. In fact, feeling intensely lonely is documented as being just as stressful on the body as being attacked physically. And some of you guys may have actually felt this type of loneliness before. Some of you guys, I know that I have, there have been moments where I have felt such a deep sense of loneliness that it actually had a physical uh, effect on me. Um, it can be incredibly difficult, challenging, painful, sad. We can wrestle with this. And so what we know is that disconnection from other people doesn't just affect you emotionally, it affects you biologically. Ultimately, what happens is we start to become convinced that, that others don't want to be around us, and then so we start acting in a way so that people actually don't want to be around us, and then our, our fears or our concerns start to become true, and it has this kind of vicious cycle effect, and ultimately, disconnection always spirals into more disconnection. Uh, when you are disconnected or isolated or feeling lonely, it never makes you it never makes it easier for you to connect with other people. When you're feeling lonely or isolated or disconnected, it's never like, well, you know what I'm excited to do? Hang out. There's always a sense of, well, then I'll just, I'm gonna kind of withdraw. There's a sense of, okay, I'm gonna hold back. I feel lonely. I feel some sense of rejection or, or isolation. Nobody's ever watched five episodes of your favorite Netflix show and then be like, you know what? I'm gonna go outside. We all think, I'll probably just finish these other five. You know, there's this, there's this kind of, it's easier to stay disconnected, to stay alone, to stay isolated than it is. It doesn't push us into connecting with other people. And this is really kind of the opposite of, of so much in our society. With social media, the way that we actually watch people's lives uh, and instead of engaging in people's lives, the way we binge watch shows. Um, we play games just like we've always played games, but instead of spending nine hours with your family fighting over Monopoly at a kitchen table, uh, you play video games on a headset and you talk to people that are a thousand miles away. Uh, there's this disconnection that is a part of our commutes to work. We're spending hours in the car alone. We listen to other people's conversations on things called podcasts, and we think about how cool it would be to be a part of that conversation. What I would say if I was a part of that conversation, disconnection is something that is all around us, and our culture, and our society, and the speed of life, and it's not all bad things, but it doesn't encourage us to stay connected. It doesn't encourage us or make it easier for us to connect relationally with other people. Uh, I was reading Harvard uh, did a 79-year study because they just couldn't bear the, to do an 80-year study. It was like 79 years is as long as we can do. Uh, they did this study for 79 years. It started in 1938, and year after year, researchers would ask these people about their work, their lives, their health. Uh, they would ultimately realize that it turns out that flourishing in life is a function of close ties with family friends, and community. It had nothing to do with fame, wealth, social class, IQ, genes, or anything else. 
what they realized over 79 years of checking in with these people year after year after year in different communities is that what was the main impact, the main factor of them flourishing in life had nothing to do with the amount of money they had or fame that they had. It didn't have to do with where they were raised. It had to do with their level of connection with family and friends and their community. It says this, the study, they said, people who are more isolated than they want to be from others find that they are less happy. Their health declines earlier in midlife, their brain functioning declines sooner, and they live shorter lives than people who are not lonely. And the sad fact is that at any given time, more than one in five, excuse me, uh, more than one in five Americans will report that they are lonely. Saying ultimately, instead of trying to focus on the quantity of relationships, that there is this reality that we have to start focusing on the quality of relationships. It's not that you need a thousand friends, but you need some people to be close with. They said this, they said, when we gathered together everything we knew about them at the age of 50, it wasn't their middle age cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were always the healthiest at age 80. So get a group of friends together and eat all of the steak that you want. Uh, no, there's this, there's this implication that it's not just about our emotional health, but there is a biological, there's a physical reality to connection, to relationships, to community that we have to be aware of. It's the way that God wired us to be. Our physical health and our emotional health is, is impacted by this, and it's the way that we are invited continually by God to step into relationships. Essentially, it's not what you're going through but who you're going through it with that makes the biggest difference. It's not just the, the pits or the peaks or the highs or the lows or the difficult or the good. It's not just those experiences, but the relationships, the people that you're going through those things with is what makes the, the biggest difference in our lives. Uh, I was telling the first service, my friend Gabe uh, served in the military um, and uh, it's been, I want to say, 17 years uh, this week since um, he was in Afghanistan and there was an explosion and um, both of his legs were the, the, just a ton of damage and there was years and years of reconstructive surgery and all kinds of things. But um, this week, it was the 17-year anniversary and, uh, and he Googled his name and, uh, you know, uh, like Getty images uh, online, there is a picture of him the moment that this explosion happened, he's surrounded by all of these people and his, uh, and his troops and, and they're surrounding, holding him. You can see the pain on his face from this explosion. It was crazy. Uh, it was a crazy thing just to look at this. But it's interesting as you, as you think about veterans that have spent time in battle and, and kind of death and danger are lurking around every corner uh, in every moment, but because of the relationships and the connection that they have with the people that they sleep and eat and live with, there is a sense of wholeness and a clear mind that they have. And oftentimes what happens is they come back home and they feel alone. They don't have those relationships. And, and while they're not worried about a bomb going off around them, there's, it's almost scarier and it's more uh, unhealthy in many ways for them because this loneliness starts to play a part and, and they feel like people can't understand what they've been through, which is true in a lot of scenarios. Isolation is such a challenging thing for us. It's not just what we're going through. 
It's who we're going through it with that makes the biggest difference. This is, same thing is true in Paul's story. We looked at uh, 1 Corinthians last week and, and Paul started writing about some of the pain that he had experienced, the times that they despaired of life itself. He started talking about the thorn that was in his side, this thing that wouldn't go away, that he begged that God would change this thing about him and, and it wouldn't ever be changed. Paul talked about these things and it's, it's interesting because Paul, for being like a spiritual hero and this person that we look to as like this great man of faith, Paul was in prison a lot, uh, which is not normally something that goes hand in hand. But Paul constantly was being put in prison for sharing about who Jesus was and for these, these trips that he was going on. But he was always put in prison with other people. And so he would be in prison with this man named Silas, and you can read about them like singing songs and talking and laughing together on the missionary journeys that he would go on. He was, he was never alone. And so even the times when there would be shipwrecks and painful experiences, he was always with other people. But when he wrote 1 Corinthians, and when you start to read a little bit in the beginning about how he talks about how he despaired of life itself, and, and there's this really kind of heavy tone that he's writing with, he was writing this after just coming out of a season of being in prison alone. He'd been in prison before with other people, but he was in prison alone, and you can hear it in the way that he's writing. I know that the reality is, is that we don't have to be in prison to feel isolated. We don't even have to be alone to feel isolated. Many people feel alone in a crowd of people. Some of you may feel alone even here in this room today. Uh, a lot of people describe kind of their feeling of life as if they're in kind of the middle of Times Square and there's people everywhere around them and, and they still feel totally alone. This is something that regardless of who you are and what your life has looked like, you can, you can have this feeling. Ultimately, as it turns out, to fight against loneliness, we need to be connected with other people and we need to have some common goals and values that we share together. So there's three kind of components as I kind of head towards kind of the home stretch here. Our connection with others is important for three reasons. The first reason uh, why it's important is for ourselves. A person detaching from the community that they live in, uh, a person detaching from their friends, a person, a person even coming to church and staying kind of disconnected. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He, he kind of talks about how absurd it would be, and he gives this illustration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. And when he says the body of Christ, he's talking about the church, the, the followers of Jesus. Saying the human body is made up of a whole bunch of different parts. And the same thing is true of the church, of the community of people that make up the church. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all of the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Now, I think that we have all had experiences with our physical bodies where we understand that this is true. Uh, I'm sure that we have all 
pulled a muscle somewhere that you didn't even know that there was a muscle and it kind of hampered everything you tried to do after that. Uh, I've got this thing on my foot that I've been trying to get figured out for a while and it's like this big and it feels like I am just like barely able to live my life. Uh, and uh, I use it as an excuse for everything, but don't tell Ez, no. Uh, but there's this, there's this reality that if one part of our body is in pain or we pull a muscle or, or we stub our toe or we step on a Lego and our eight-year-old room or whatever it might be, we understand that it affects everything about us. It has this, uh, this effect all throughout our body. And Paul is saying the same thing, that the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus, we can't say, man, I don't need other people. I don't need to be around other people. It's just, it's just the hand or it's just the eye or it's just the foot or whatever it is. We can't say that because there's a reality for us that as the body of Christ, as a community of people that's, that's together in life, living in relationship, invested in relationships with each other, that the pain that we experience, it's not only ours, but other people carry that with us and for us as well. And then at the same thing, he says, if one part is honored, all of the parts are glad. There's this aspect of community that we're not able just to say, man, I don't need them. I don't need that. I don't need this. We have to stay connected. Sometimes we read this passage, and I've even used this passage this way, and I think it's, it's fair and it's accurate as why people need to serve because everybody has different gifts and skills. And, and uh, you know, like as was talking about earlier, we need volunteers, and, and we were joking around about morning people and non-morning people, and so we need morning people to be greeters because they're ready to smile. Uh, and some of us are not really ready to smile until like 11.30 or 12, kind of once we go on our lunch break, it's like, okay, finally, I can smile. Uh, there is, there is a reality that we all have different passions and skills and gifts and, and we can rely on each other in that way. That is true. But that's not the only reality for this passage. The, the reality is, is that, that we are only healthy when we are connected to the rest of our body. And so whether that's South Hills Church that you consider your home church, maybe it's a different church and, and that's totally fine, but being connected to the body is so important for you as an individual. It's not just about what we're doing together, but it's about what doing together does for us. It's about what, it, what happens in us when we live our lives in relationship, in community, connected to other people. Um, one of my friends uh, about, I don't know, maybe a year ago, nine months ago, um, I saw him, and he's got a number of tattoos kind of all over the place. And uh, he was wearing shorts, and he has this massive wolf tattoo on his shin. Uh, and it is not like a friendly, cute wolf. It is like a vicious-looking, uh, angry wolf. And I said, well, that's cute. Uh, no, uh, it's a really great tattoo. And I, I was like, what? Why did you get that? It was a little bit different than some of his normal tattoo style and kind of what he usually does. And, and so I was talking to him about it, and he said, well, I've been learning about... Um, wolves and wolf pack and specifically the, the myth of a lone wolf. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and so he started talking. And you guys have all heard the phrase lone wolf before, right? You guys have maybe said it about people or about yourselves. We started talking and what I learned in this conversation is that a lone wolf isn't really a thing, at least not for very long. There's only two times that there would be a lone wolf. One is if a younger wolf battles the alpha male and wins, then the alpha male is kind of removed from the pack, and he goes off as a lone wolf to die. Not the greatest ending. The other time 
is if a younger male attacks the alpha male and loses, then the younger male goes off as a lone wolf to die. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'll spell it out. No, uh, being a lone wolf, I have said it, and I've even kind of understood it as almost like a badge of honor. And in our culture, we, we, we kind of get proud about, oh, I'm self-made. I don't need it. I do it on my own. I'm strong enough. I don't need them, him, her, anyone. I'm, I can, I'm a lone wolf. I can make it happen. This is not actually what lone wolves do. Wolves are so dependent on their relationship with the pack and on the community that they live in that they cannot survive on their own. And the same thing is true for us. We were wired in a way that we will never fully be able to thrive or get out of life what God intends for us if we have a lone wolf mentality. And I have very, very dear friends that I have been a part of church staff with before, that I've grown up with, and they love Jesus, and they are at a place in their life where they're like, you know what, I believe in Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I just don't want to go to church ever again. I've been hurt too many times. I don't see the value in it, and I understand. I've been there some of the times when they were hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church, and many of you may have as well, but, but you will never fully get what God wants you to have in your life, emotionally, spiritually, physically, if you are disconnected from the body. For yourself, you have to be connected. The second piece of this, I lost my place. There we go. The second piece of this, the second reason why we need to be connected is um, if we want to help transform our emotional state or understand that of the people that are closest to us, the key isn't to avoid suffering, but to surround yourself with people worth suffering with. It's to have people in your life that uh, actually you can lock arms with, and these relationships are worth it. And they're difficult and they're challenging, but it's worth it. These people are they're close to me. I care for them. I care about them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this in, in chapter 1. He says, All praise goes to God, Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He consoles us as we endure the pain and hardship of life so that we may draw from his comfort and share it with others in their own struggles. So there's one aspect of being connected to others that we have to understand that it has implications for our own health. But the second aspect of it is what does it mean for the people around us, for us to be connected with others in relationship? Because there's a, there's a reality of the things that you have gone through, the way that God has comforted you, the things that you've learned about who God is and, and how to navigate life. There's a reality that there's other people that can only experience that comfort from you. And as we're living in community and connected in relationships, we're able to share that with other people. But when we withdraw and pull back and we kind of take on the lone wolf mentality, it's not only does it have a, a negative impact on us, but it also starts to ripple out and impact the people in our communities and our families and our churches and in our, in our, in our neighborhoods. We're often told to, to focus on ourselves, to be self-made or be an individual, but ultimately, trying to make things better for your community or your group will always make you happier than trying to make things better for yourself. And the reality is, 
is you start to think about the people that you love the most. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's friends, significant other, family. As you start to think about them and, and just imagine for a moment, and maybe you've had some of these conversations, but imagine they start telling you about how they feel lonely or isolated, about how they feel disconnected from others. I would be willing to bet, because I've felt this way with my son, I've felt this way with other friends, that your heart would break a little bit and you would want nothing more for them than to feel loved and connected and a part of something. I know when I talk with my eight-year-old and he's kind of in that eight-year-old stage of life and navigating school and third grade and, and all of the world's biggest problems that come with all of that, there are, there are moments when I can see this look in his eyes where he feels alone and it breaks my heart. And I want so deeply for him to have the relationships and the connections and, and these friendships. And we often can feel that deeply for other people, but we're unwilling to, to allow ourselves to have that. Like, well, yeah, I want that for them, but I'm, I'm okay. I don't need anybody. Well, yeah, I don't want them to feel alone, but I, I mean, I'll probably always feel a little bit alone. I, I don't know if anybody will ever fully be able to, to understand me. This invitation is to stay connected to the whole body for ourselves and to understand that the comfort that God gives us in, as we endure life is also meant so that we can share it with other people, locking arms together in community. And the third thing about connection, that's obviously it's physically, biologically, emotionally, and spiritually, it's helpful for us. The same is true for the community that we're a part of. And then the third thing about why it's so important to be in community is because it's literally one of Jesus's final prayers and wishes for us. In John 17, this is a time Jesus is praying and this is right before he's arrested and, and the, the road towards the crucifixion begins. But Jesus says this in verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 12 disciples that are there, uh, I'm praying not only for the disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, I just want to pause there for a second because this is, I think, one of the most incredible verses, and it's easy to miss. He's not just praying for the people that are there. He's praying for all of the people that will ever believe in him because of their message, because of what they say about him. Ultimately, he is praying for you and I today. In 2019, we believe this message because of what the disciples told people and what they told people. And now here we are today. And in this verse, Jesus is saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples. I'm praying for Chris. I'm praying for Sonia. I'm praying for Ez. I'm praying for all of the people that will ever believe. This is his prayer. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. He doesn't say, this is my prayer for all of the people that will ever believe. I pray that they will be alone. I pray that they will be isolated. I pray that they will feel confident enough that they don't have to rely on nobody for nothing. He says, I pray that they will be one, that they will be connected. He says, just the same way that Jesus the Son and, and God the Father are connected and one, that's his prayer for us. That's his desire for us. That's the way that we are intended to live our lives. We talk about this a lot 
in our Discover One class about the importance of being connected in community, it is the only way that we can fully experience what God intends for us, both spiritually and physically in our lives. Jesus, it's his, one of his final prayers is that we would experience that because it's best for us, but also when we live that way, this last thing that he says, he says, may they be in us, may they be one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. When they live in community, it is such a beautiful thing that people will begin to believe in the reality and the truth of who God is and the way that he cares for us. It's not just for our own individual health, although it, it is crucial. It's not just for the benefit of community, although it is beneficial and it is so important to stay engaged. It's because it's Jesus' deepest wish for us to be connected with the body, to be connected with others. And when we do, it not only has spiritual implications, it has physical implications, it has emotional and biological implications as well. Um, I was thinking this week uh, about this and this message, and um, it was probably about four or five years ago where I kind of came to a place where I realized um, that even though I know a ton of people, uh, I really felt very alone. Um, and it was a really difficult time for me. And, and I was talking with someone and they said, well, do you have a board? I was like, no, I don't have a board. You know, like, A, I don't have a business. Uh, B, I, you know, it's just, what a crazy question to ask me. Do I look like the type of person that would have a board? Uh, and I totally missed what they were saying. They're like, no, like, do you have, like, if you had to call a board meeting, uh, about your life, if you had to, to talk through the, the challenges or the realities or the good things in your life, who would you talk to? Who would you invite to be a part of that conversation? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I know a lot of people. But if there was a table of six people that I could rely on, six people that would know the most about me, six people uh, that I could lean on, that, that would, I would be able to share some of the, the biggest wins and the joys and also some of the struggles, if, if there was a, a board for me personally, I, I didn't really know who would be at that. And so I started to think about it and I became really intentional about it because I realized that even though I knew a ton of people, I wasn't really connected. I still felt lonely or isolated in a lot of ways. And so um, I actually started thinking about this and praying about it. And, and, uh, and ultimately then I asked some people to be on my board, <laughs> which is a very awkward conversation. Like, will you join my board? Yeah, for what? Just life. Uh, there's no equity stake or payment for it. It's just, it's totally free. Um, and uh, But it's crazy because... Since those conversations first happened, uh, I have seen my own emotional health and spiritual health and my marriage and, and just kind of general um, decency as a person <laughs> shift because there is a group of people that I can rely on and that I count on. And we actually call ourselves the board and we hang out. Uh, not super often because they live all over the place. But every once in a while, we'll send a text message and we're like, hey, it's time for our quarterly board meeting. Like, it's time. We got to catch up and talk about life. And, and we do. And as I mean, even last weekend, they all work at different churches. And if you work at a church, Sunday is kind of like a big day of the week. Uh, and, um, and they all took a Sunday off from their churches to come here 
and celebrate this grand opening with us. And it meant so much to me because I know that that's not like an easy thing to do. It's always nice to have a day off, but they have responsibilities of people that are trusting and counting on them. But there's this connection that we have begun to build for each other and with each other. And it has become one of the most important things for me, not only emotionally, but spiritually. It changes the way I am as a husband and as a friend, as a father. And so I wonder for you, do you have a board? If I were to ask you who your board was, now that you understand the question, what would that look like for you? You all have this little note sheet on your seats. Justin, can I have a pen? Thank you. You guys have pens there as well. And so I want you to take, we're just going to take one minute. And you can draw your board table on the back of this. Maybe it's rectangular or square. It can be whatever shape you want it to be, really. But I want you to draw a board table, and then, you know, our board has six people on it. My board has six people. I don't know how many years. Maybe, maybe yours, I, I think it needs more than two or three, so maybe four or six or eight. Uh, and more, I mean, if you can be, like, over 35 and have more than eight friends, you're doing pretty well in life. But... Uh, but I want you to just to draw some smaller squares around that table. And we're going to take just a minute, and I want you to think about who, who are the people in your life? Who is it that you're connected to? Who is the board for you? Who are the, the ones that you can rely on, that you can lean on, the ones that know you and that can tell when you're not doing okay, even if you don't say that you're not doing okay? Who are the ones that you get to lock arms with in life that care for you? And maybe some of you guys, you're looking at these, these boxes, and I'm hearing giggling, which is never a good sign. <laughs> really? You're going to put them on your board? Uh, maybe some of you guys, as, as you look at this, you have names of people, and they might not know that you view the, them, that you view the, the relationship that you have with them. They might not know that you view them this way, and I would encourage you to tell them. It's an important thing that they know the way that you value and view the relationship that you have with them. I had this conversation with these people, and it was weird, but they appreciated it, and we've moved past the weirdness, and now we think it's a lot of fun. But maybe there's some names on here, and you actually need to tell these people that, man, you are, you are someone that I, you, you are my board. You are at my table, and I value you and your influence in my life. For some of you, it may be hard to think of names to write down around this table. It may be challenging. Um, and there's a, a thousand different reasons why that might be. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. And so what does it look like for you to start thinking, how can I invest in connection with other people, not only for my own emotional health, but for my spiritual health, for the good of their health, for the good of the community and for the body and ultimately because it's what Jesus is inviting me to do.